Welcome to Slight Reliability. Learning SRE one day at a time. I'm Stephen Townsend. Welcome back to Slight Reliability. I'm Stephen Townsend and this is the show where we learn about SRE together one day at a time. And today I have an interview with Sebastian Feetz. He is an SRE lead and manager. He has many years of experience setting up and running SRE practices in different organizations. So here's the interview and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Maybe we could start with a little bit about you, yourself, like where you live, what you do and um, yeah, start with that. Yeah, sure. So um, I live in Canada, um, in and around Toronto. Um, been living there for now 14 years, emigrated from Germany to, to Canada and um, yeah, I guess started my professional career as a software developer, um, working for a financial institution uh, for a period of time. Um, that's how I sort of grew up as a professional um, um, and eventually as part of that journey realized I like to uh, lead teams. So that's I've been doing that for the better part of a decade now, probably even a bit longer. Uh, basically doing uh, product engineering, software engineering, process engineering, I dabbled. And at some point, um, I think it was around 2014, I kind of got pushed into this thing that was called site reliability engineering, right? Um, I think Google just had published their actual book, the Bible, you know, uh, reliability engineering. And so some leaders at the uh, company that I was working for thought, uh, let's get into this. We have some operational challenges in our organization that we need to overcome. So um, let's try out this new thing, this new shiny object and see if we can apply some of those things that Google engineers um, have told us they do um, in our organization. So basically, they asked me, um, do you want to do this? Um, it was more like voluntold. <laughs> Got a new team, uh, basically all software engineers by trade, um, and started figuring it out. Like steep learning curve at the beginning, of course, not really knowing what th what this thing is. Um, uh, and yeah, with time and years and experiences um, made along the way, um, I think I have a fairly good grasp today, eight years later, as to. Uh, what it is, what it used to be, what it is now, um, maybe where it's going. I have a few ideas around that. Um, but yeah, ever since then, have basically been leading various um, site reliability engineering teams or service reliability engineering teams, as I call them today. Um, and um, yeah, either inherited the team or started basically teams from from scratch, like me being the first one through the door and then being asked here, do reliability engineering for our organization, um, build a team, do what's necessary, educate us, um, tell us what it's all about, tell us how it adds value, et cetera, et cetera. A couple of questions about that. So the, the, you mentioned that you're working for a financial organization. For me, it's quite impressive that they had the foresight to be thinking about SRE as a valuable thing and you said there were some operational challenges that they were having do you remember what what kinds of challenges that you were facing in that organization 
Yeah, so as you can imagine, I'm no longer working for this organization. Uh, um, we parted ways in 2018, but um, the one thing that uh, one one could say um, I'll give them, they had a little bit of foresight. Um, they thought it was a good idea to apply some of those um, ideas and principles that are uh, rolled into reliability engineering um, and trying to overcome some of the operational challenges that we were facing at the time. It's been a financial institution and most financial institutions that have been around for long enough have built up some legacy, um, right, have been very set in their ways of how they're doing things operationally, procedurally, um, the technology stacks are pretty much set in stone or they were at, at that point in time. And so I think if you build up enough legacy, you also build enough of a technology pile of debt. And eventually that will come back to haunt you and to basically, um, you know, poke out its heads basically on a daily basis. So we had in, 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 in that year and years before that um, several operational outages, like large scale ones. Um, and so uh, we were trying to figure out, I guess, as an organization on how we can overcome them. How can we be better at this? How can we obviously prevent them from happening in the first place, right? But um, as many um, engineers in our field have probably experienced, there was a bit of a um, ownership problem. Um, processes were too complicated and too complex. Turned out that didn't actually help to prevent some of those scenarios from happening. You know, there was a little bit of uh, lack of focus on the technology depth right um it was just building up and building up and eventually it was just biting us on a daily basis um yeah and eventually i think when these things make enough noise and create enough risk for an organization especially one like a financial institution then i think people start to pay attention uh, and then a focus shift basically happened and now folks said um yeah we need to do this differently uh, maybe we need to look outside. Maybe we need to overcome our own bad habits, our operational pitfalls. Uh, let's try something completely different. Uh, the other thing you mentioned is that you have stood up SRE teams from, from scratch, which is a topic dear to my heart because that's what we've had to try and do. The only difference is that we didn't have any experience in SRE when we tried to stand things up. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on, let's say, I guarantee there are hundreds or thousands of companies out there right now trying to start SRE for the first time uh, and, and to form probably an incubator team of some kind. Any advice on for those teams where to begin or, you know, or maybe even what kind of people to put in that team? Yeah, so two parts, I think, are, are in your questions there. Uh, where to start and what kind of people to invite. And I feel like um, I, I'm i doing this now, I'm doing this now for the fourth time um, that I started uh, basically with a new team and, and all sorts of variations, right? The first team that I ever started with was almost 30 people large. So that was not necessarily the approach that I would have chosen to go to go about it, right? Started with a large team of um, just software engineers and then um, trying to figure out how to make a reliability engineering team out of that. Um, that would not be my recommendation, right? Um, 
Um, in my last company, I started off being the third one through the door. There were already two reliability engineers present, and then I came as sort of the reliability engineering uh, leader, and then trying to build from, from there. So again, a little bit of a different setup. And this time around, um, the last company that I um, started working um, for just a month ago, basically I came in, the only one with basically reliability engineering um, experience um, under his belt. And then I start with um, two DevOps engineers and two software engineers. On the topic of what kind of engineering disciplines to recruit, honestly, I always believe that it doesn't matter so much, right? Um, there's a set of, there's more of a mindset shift required and I hope anyone that wants to get into SRE is able to make that mindset shift versus what kind of skills do you already have? Do you have experience with or do you bring to the table, right? As long as you are a continuous learner and are willing to put your head into new um, ideas and new tools and try out new things, I think everyone can do it. Like software engineers, even product people in my last company, um, I had someone that was very interested. Um, he just recently became an SRE. He came from support. So he was a, a level three support engineer. So people could come from all sorts of backgrounds. And I actually encourage it because that that variety, that diversity of background and thought, it's just going to add to a really well diversified um, reliability engineering team. And you have all these different perspectives that people bring to the table, which I think are particularly important for reliability engineering. Yeah, that's interesting Sorry. what you're saying because when I've been, I've seen quite a few job descriptions out there for SREs and the experience that they're looking for, and it reads like a senior slash lead developer and a senior slash lead ops engineer, all the skills combined. It's like they're asking for these incredible unicorn yeah. people who I don't even know if they exist or not. And uh, but I'm I'm with you. I think it's it's as long as there is a, that, that base level of technical ability, and then it's about the mindset after that. I agree. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Because, like you said, you talk about these unicorns. They may exist, but trust me, most companies cannot afford them if they do exist, uh, because they know what they're worth, right? They have at least a decade of experience under their belt, probably in both of these roles, ops roles as well as engineering um, or software or product engineering roles. They know exactly what they're worth, right? So. The other thing I will say, some of these hilarious job descriptions, you know, it's like it's like a wish list. So, so you know, it's like if I could make up my own perfect reliability engineer, that's what I would put in there. But it's impossible to find, right? The other thing that I will say is it's still I would still consider it a niche amongst all the engineering disciplines, right? So you have a hard time finding personnel to begin with. Let's not talk even about experience of any significance, right? So at some point, as that engineering discipline democratizes more and proliferates even further, right, you have no choice but to start to think beyond the existing people that have done it for a while, right? You need to think about how can I bring in someone that has just an interest in it, right, that maybe has some skills and um, uh, certain characteristics and attitudes that might 
lend themselves well towards the discipline, right? The other thing I would say, education is still very much lacking um, when it comes to how how am I going to become a reliability engineer? Some companies have tried. There's a bit of good content from LinkedIn, for example, right? From the uh, DevOps Institute, a few have dabbled in it, but it's nothing that is being taught, for example, in college or universities or anything like that, right? So with the market being what it is and everyone finding this field interesting, more and more people and companies um, finding value and can see how reliability engineering can contribute to their organization, I think you have no choice but to let others from other disciplines in and take on that privilege, burden, whatever you, however you look at it, of, you know, educating folks and giving them the chance to learn the discipline as they're, as they're making their way into, uh, into that job and into that role. I think that SRE means um, different things to um, different people. And everyone has their own definition. So if, if you had, if you were asked to define in, in a few, a few words, what SRE is, what would you say it is? I would call it a new engineering discipline. One that focuses on, on the customer and focuses on the company uh, in which uh, reliability engineering is being executed and really our primary objective is to ensure that what is being produced within that company technology services products processes whatever it may be right that these things come with a few attributes one is in the name right it's reliable of course it's scalable right it's performant it's available right some people might argue it leans into sustainability in terms of what we do uh, or what we should be looking at, or how we could potentially evolve uh, the discipline even further, right? Part of our job, in my view, should contain a level of, you know, data insight and engineering. So, because traditionally, or non-traditionally, um, SREs usually tend to work with a lot of data, and the focus on that data is usually very point-to-point, uh, -point or very short-sighted, or very like it's it captures a brief moment in time but i'm a big believer of uh giving that data a second look and applying different perspectives and potentially applying uh different questions to that to that data set and figuring out how else we can can we utilize that information for the purposes of insight for the purposes of product development or product and enhancements right customer engagement uh marketing you name it, right? Uh, there are lots of other business disciplines that could potentially benefit from the data that we are just naturally exposed to almost every day. Yeah, it reminds me of doing performance engineering and one of the things we used to do a lot is workload modeling. <clears throat> so we'd want to figure out maybe over the last five years um, how what is the, the level of traffic on on a different application or service, and how has that how has that changed, and then how you know the peaks and troughs and the seasonal effects, and oh, there's a marketing campaign and what you know the impacts. I, I really enjoy that kind of work, and I, I haven't since I've changed to this SRE title, I haven't got the chance to do that, and it's it's um, yeah, uh, it'd be nice to have that kind of analysis back into my work, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as part of my previous engagement 
I actually started making data science part of the reliability engineering group, right? Because I was a believer that beyond the primary use case for all the telemetry that we are collecting, right? Whether it be logs and traces and metrics, events, profiles, whatever we do there, right? They have the purpose so that we can know that the services and the products that we develop are are healthy. They're operating within our expectation and they're operating in accordance to the promises that we made to our customers, right? So primary objectives for those things. But then why can't we use that information further, right? To, for example, identify like important customer journeys, right? A lot of telemetry, a lot of metrics that you're collecting basically tells you which services are used more than others, right? So you, you get a bit of insight there that you could share with your product team, right? Its primary purpose was to make sure that these services are up and running. But while you're doing that, you might as well uh, take that second bit of information and share that back with your product folks, right? It adds to the value proposition, I believe, um, for reliability engineering, especially in in front of product and business partners, right? Because a lot of the reliability engineering teams that I know that I build, they don't necessarily have a lot of exposure to other parts of the business, right? Marketing, sales, customer success, product, right? Because they oftentimes work behind the curtains. They work in support of product engineering teams. So they don't necessarily get that exposure. Hence, all those uh, other business domains, they don't necessarily get to see what reliability engineering is doing, why they are doing that, how they are going about their business, how could they add value to my um, business domain. And I think that exposes that a little bit. I posted on LinkedIn recently about the concept of the vir that virtual team. So um, in my particular situation, you had these essentially vertical silos of different teams. They all had to work together to provide a service to a customer. Uh, and in terms of it, adopting SLOs, I was thinking maybe we can pull together a virtual team which has representatives from each of those um, vertical vertical silos. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually not convinced that's, that that's the right or the best thing to do, but uh, you had some thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a thing. And when you, when you posted that, it reminded me of something that I was actually doing at the time with my team. It uh, was... I, I I didn't ever come up with a name, but it's exactly what you just were describing it, right? Um, because we were on a journey to uh, develop internal service level objectives that like ultimately might have had the end goal to be embedded in some service level agreement down the road, customer facing ones. But we wanted to try out those service level objectives internally first gain some experience with those, um, figure out which ones we like, which ones we don't like, fine tune them, obviously, get a level of comfort before we utilizing them and then exposing them to actual uh, customers, right? But in that process of defining those service level objectives, we did exactly what you suggested there. We brought together basically a cross-functional team out of support and product and engineering and from within engineering, uh, various parts of uh, different product engineering teams, because we were we were a part of the SLOs that we were trying to 
established were part of specific customer journeys, right? And so these customer journeys uh, were touching multiple uh, services or multiple parts of our technology stack. So it's not something where you can just work in isolation and trying to come up with an SLO just from your own engineering perspective or just because you are the SRE and you just make something up, right? It has to be like, ideally we wanted it to be driven by product, right? Asking at first the question, why do you want it? What's the value? Why should we go down that path? Because it's an involved process, right? Especially if you're uh, putting together such a uh, virtual team for the purposes of defining that SLOs or multiple SLOs even, right? It's an involved process. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes multiple sessions. It takes some thought. It takes some iteration. So before going into it, we should be very clear. Everyone should be very clear that there's value uh, that we get out of it at the end of the day, right? And what we're getting out of these SLOs will help us, the organization, drive decisions that we want to make once we have that information in our fingertips. Right? So hence, your suggestion there resonated with me because that's exactly what we, uh, that what we had to do. Mm. Is it ideal? Maybe it could have been done differently because like I said, it was expensive, right? It was it was quite involved and getting all those folks from product support and engineering together, we had a cadence of once a week uh, to work through various SLOs and, you know, um, defining them, refining them, determining value and, and all those things. And then um, subsequently determining how do we going to implement them, you know? It took some, it took definitely some doing and it was not cheap. Uh, to do it just by sheer uh, numbers, right? The, the number of people that we wanted to be part uh, of the conversation. Okay, so I'm, I'm curious. In that situation where you've got representatives in the team from more of a, a product or business perspective and you start talking about availability and, <clears throat> and you're... And you're saying, well, you know, what what level of availability do we do we want this service to have? How do you find? Uh, how do you keep those different stakeholders who maybe don't come from a technical background engaged? Like, do, are they do they seem engaged in those conversations? Do they under, understand? Like, I think they probably do understand from a customer perspective more than anything what the expectation is. But then to actually pick that magic number, like, I'm just curious about the the how that works. Yeah, so one thing we didn't do right off the bat, like we're going through like the value proposition and we're going uh, the sort of why we want to do it. And we talked a little bit about how we want to do it. We didn't go into too much detail. That type of conversation we took away and purely worked on it as an engineering organization. We left everyone out of these conversations. So the what we did, we sort of disguised. Nobody needed to know that, right? That, that was irrelevant. We could have taken a thousand different paths in terms of how we wanted to implement this, that was not relevant to the conversation. That was not necessarily the, the complicated part or the, the expensive part. But what we did right off the, uh, off the bat, we were saying what we're not going to do as part of the initial conversations is to define service level indicators. We are not going to define thresholds. We're just going to define the SLO 
so that everyone is on the same page, everybody understands what's behind it, everybody understands why we want to do it. We go and implement it, and we start tracking that SLOs. We're figuring out and collecting historical information. And then we gave ourselves, I think what we said, um, three to six months, and we wanted to reconvene after that time. Look at the historical information, and now that we have uh, a baseline for what's normal, right, or what's abnormal, now we can sit down and talk about indicators for or lack of compliance to the to a service level objective or when we are in compliance with a service level objective. So we took that right out of the gate away from the conversation because we had no experience or the group, the company had no experience as to uh, and no data to substantiate any number. Any number could be wrong or any number could have been right. So there was no point in entertaining it to begin with. So we said, we settle on historical information. We look at it in three months time. And once we have collected some decent information and look at what's normal and what's not normal, then we sit down and define what our availability targets uh, targets should be. You've just kind of blown my mind. That's uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I never even thought of that. I mean, there's two things you said. One, one is the fact that you, you set your objectives first, then you go and measure them before you go and set your thresholds. That's really cool. But also the fact that there's an element of if with the certain level, certain stakeholders, it's not necessarily about, you know, revealing all the mechanics of what's going on. Just have the conversations to get a sense of where we're going. And then there's some things which the engineering team just needs to do. You figure out why you want to do something. You figure out a little bit on how you want to do it. Right. But the what the actual mechanics of it all leave that up to the engineering team to decide and figure out like give them the proper objectives give them the proper targets uh, give us all the inputs that you that you that you need from a from a support perspective from a sales perspective from a product perspective whoever the stakeholder is on the side of the business partner right give us what we need and let us figure out the solution because as soon as you get into like the technical details of it all you kind of putting yourself as an engineer or an engineering organization, you put yourself in a corner, right? And then it's really hard to course correct when something doesn't work or get yourself out of it or pivot, you know? You lose that ability right at the beginning of the conversation. You haven't even started with implementing any of it. You haven't probably even designed it to a degree where it's worth talking about it, but you're already putting yourself in a, uh, in a corner, right? Uh, and why do that? From your experience with SLO adoption, and I guess this is going to be a complicated answer, but is it a worthwhile endeavor? Do you think SLOs are a thing which everyone should be doing, or is it a case-by-case basis, or what, what are your thoughts? I think the best way for me to answer this is, let's just make sure before we talk about service-level objectives, a, everyone has the same understanding of what those actually are. So my experience tells me lots of people have lots of ideas of what they actually are, but don't have any sort of good foundational knowledge. So first sessions that you're going to have with stakeholders about service level objectives, make sure everyone is clear on the terminology. 
what you're actually going into, what service level objectives are and what they are not, how they compare to service level indicators and especially service level uh, agreements, which people, you know, tend to use interchangeably in, in, in many organizations, right? Let's just be very clear on what we are actually after, right? Are we after an agreement, an objective, or indicators, right? Once that is clear, the second thing I think everyone should get out of the way is, do you actually have a technology purpose or a business purpose to implement these things? If you do not, don't embark on that journey. Like I said, in most organizations, especially organizations that have no experience with that, uh, with these terms and with, the, uh, with these principles, it's going to be expensive at the beginning because nobody has knowledge about how to do this. So you have more sessions around this to establish what it actually means for you and how do we answer certain um, business questions with the help of service level objectives, right? It's going to be a bit of a churn. Uh, in the last organization that I was working with, we, we were talking about muscle memory, right? We were talking about how do you develop as an organization the procedural steps to figure out how to establish service level objectives effectively and efficiently, right? The first service level objective probably took us three, four months to figure out just because we had to put sort of the framework in place first on how are we talking about this? What is the language that we're going to use, right? How do we answer those why and how and what questions, right? And once we sort of laid a bit of a blueprint there, we started to figure out how can we repeat this? Now let's talk about a second one and a third one and a fourth one, right? We settled on initially, I think six, but that muscle memory, that sort of process of talking about an SLO and developing it and figuring out whether or not it's worthwhile doing or not, right? That will take some that will take some doing. It will take some good guidance from someone ideally that has done this before. Because if you just get a bunch of non-practitioners in a room, the timelines are just gonna get even uh, even longer. It's refreshing to hear you talk about it. I mean, you, you can see why I've somewhat given up on trying to do SLOs in, in my particular context where literally no one has any experience defining them. And I, and I can see other things that we could do which would provide better outcomes right now. Uh, yeah, and, and, and in a way, I, would, I didn't know what I was doing, but the fact that we're going away to benchmark reliability to get that sense of, what, of, what, of where things are right now and where the opportunities are. It's similar to what you were saying about the set some high-level objectives and then go away and, and measure for three to six months to, to see where we're at. It's, it, there's almost a similarity in that. And it's, um, it's a relief actually to hear you talk about this and, and, and mentioning three to four months to get that first DSLO. That's, yeah, that, that was our experience too. And I think the only difference in our case is even the one or two that we did define in that time frame they weren't really connected properly to business outcome or customer in a way which was satisfying. We hadn't really got there yet. And so, yeah, one day we'll get there. <laughs> but so from my perspective, it's perfectly normal, right? So people should not be mistaken that SLOs, SLIs, SLAs, any of those are easy in any way, shape or form. They're absolutely not. Right, especially if you're lacking the experiencing 
the experience of implementing those, right? And again, it changes as soon as the context changes, as soon as the customer journey changes, right? It, it changes how you talk about these things, right? You're starting, not that you're starting from scratch, but you're starting with different inputs into that conversation. The other thing I would be very cautious, or I would caution everyone that entertains going down that path is to not succumb to what I call a shiny object syndrome. Like in technology, we are like known for this, right? And almost all the organizations that I've ever worked in sort of came, had to come to terms with some of these things um, eventually, right? There's a new term popping up in technology and now everybody runs after it, right? But to what end? Do you actually know whether or not you need that thing, right? Should you be pursuing it or is it just a hype that will, that will disappear, right? Or, you know, can you actually implement that thing um, to the point where it provides that customer value or that business value, right? I do not like those pursuits where people just follow these trends, if you will, like blindly. They sound cool and they sound nice and they have some lofty goals that they're promised they will accomplish, right? There's there's a lack of appreciation behind the work that's that's involved in making some of these things become reality. And at the end of the day, you don't even know if it's the right thing to do for your particular organization or for for your particular customer or use case. Speaking of sh uh, shiny object syndrome, I was thinking about SRE and how it's really going mainstream now um, outside of Google. It has for a while now, but it really seems to be picking up traction now. And I get, from my, my personal opinion, I get a sense of confusion, I'm just jumping on buzzwords, trying to copy Google or, or other organizations, the big tech giants, uh, and maybe not really getting any great outcomes or not adjusting approaches for unique contexts. So I was curious about your thoughts on that and how SRE has gone mainstream and whether it's working. My first piece of advice is always don't do what Google does <laughs> or the same is true for don't do what uh, Netflix does or what Facebook does or um, even LinkedIn. They have a fairly um, established um, SRE discipline, right? Because it's contextual. It's It needs to fit the industry, the business domain, the company, the culture, right? It's there, There's no... There's no true blueprint, and the blueprint is certainly not the one that has been developed by, by Google, because Google does what Google does, right? And Google can afford to do certain things. Google can afford to implement SRE in certain ways, which almost no other company on the planet can do, right? So when one is starting an SRE or when one is considering implementing SRE within their organization, net new, Sure, go and read all the books, all the ones from Google and all the ones from some of the other good authors that have been putting out some really great content, right? But take all of this with a big grain of salt, right? In my last organization, I was working with someone very closely, another SRE leader that joined the organization shortly after me. And we were looking at 
certain pillars that we would entertain are part of the reliability engineering discipline. So consider it, I think the last time I checked, I had like 10 pillars, right? So you get into things like capacity management, um, um, observability, performance management, release management, incident and problem management, all those make the various pillars, right? So, so that you basically create some sort of outline for what SREs could get into, right? That is not necessarily covered by other practitioners in that organization. But then you need to, again, apply um, organizational context. Maybe you have performance engineers in your organization. So forget about this particular pillar, right? There's a group that already got that covered. Maybe, like in my last organization, observability. That is something that is covered by uh, a monitoring team or uh, an observability team that has a dedicated purpose and they're very uh, focused on this particular aspect. But then there are other these other eight pillars that could be applied because there's a gap in the organization and nobody has yet uh, filled that gap, right? If you're talking about how do we release, you know, how do we do capacity analysis? How do we prepare for incidents? How do we handle problems? There are a bunch of different areas that I think are appropriate for reliability engineers to dabble into and get into quite deeply if necessary. But how you take those 10 sort of focus areas, right, and apply them to a given business domain, a given context, a different company, varies like very much from company to company, from team to team, from organization to organization. If you if you had to provide one snippet of advice, one thing okay. to help SREs out in the world, what 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 would you what would your snippet be? Maybe it's just this: uh, don't try to spend too much time defining or, or be overly concerned about what reliability engineering is and what it isn't. Right? Um, there are some high level guidelines and goalposts that one could use. But then within that, just stay flexible. Like have a have an um, an agile mindset, if you will. You know, be able to change with the flow, be able to adjust what you're doing um, depending on the organization that you're going to be part of, depending on the te- what the team needs, what your business partners' needs are. I think they are interesting and challenging um, projects and initiatives to be found by the dozens like there's no shortage of that there's never going to be a shortage of problems to solve that's one of the reasons why i got into it and i'm very fond of it today because at heart i'm a problem solver i like to overcome challenges right i'll take my transferable skills i take a little bit of my technology background i take my curiosity and my willingness to learn and research and together with my team and teams affected, the customer uh, affected, I apply myself, right? We apply ourselves and then we'll figure out that thing that is that challenge, that is that problem that we need to, that we need to figure out. Yeah, just stay nimble, stay agile. Don't get too hung up on definitions and what you should and shouldn't be doing, right? If it's a problem to be solved and you can be helpful, 
just provide your services, provide your support. People will appreciate it because oftentimes those things are difficult. Those things are challenging. There's not necessarily always one uh, that raises um, their hand and says, here, I'm going to try that. I'm going to tackle this. I'm going to figure this out. Right. And I feel like there's an opportunity for SREs to stand up and say, we'll go at it. We'll give it a shot. You know, that's how I that would be my two cents or three <laughs> um, for the SRE practitioners that already exist or for the ones that are contemplating becoming uh, SRE practitioners getting into this field because I find it super exciting and I think there's a long road ahead for us. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Slight Reliability. Thank you so much, Sebastian, for your time. In my opinion, you are the most thoughtful and knowledgeable person that I've spoken to about SRE so far in the last 12 months. I learned a lot. I have things that I can take away to my job and can act on and use to make uh, an impact on what I'm trying to achieve. And I hope that other people who are listening also get as much out of the session as I did. Thank you all for listening once again, and I will see you next week.